Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today I'm joined by Marco Pavan, CEO and co-founder of Steamjet Space Systems. Steamjet is a small satellite propulsion system manufacturer based in the UK. And today we're going to discuss electrothermal water-based propulsion for CubeSats. Firstly, Marco, thanks for being here today. And is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? Thank you very much for inviting me here. You did a pretty spot-on introduction. Thanks. Electrothermal water-based propulsion. I wonder if you could first give us a bit of an overview of how such technologies have matured in in recent years and, and why, you know, in some people's opinions, perhaps has it taken quite a long time to make this technology a reality for, for space missions? First of all, I would like to just give perhaps like a very brief introduction about uh, electrothermal thrusters. So just to, to make sure, basically, we're all aligned, we know what, what we're talking about. So electrothermal thrusters are very simple in principle. They're kind of an improvement from uh, cold gas thrusters. And cold gas thrusters are the really the simplest propulsion systems that we can think of. Literally is pressurized tank usually containing gas, which is connected to a nozzle through a valve, and then opening the valve releases this gas into, into space, and that is creating thrust. So cold gas thrusters are the easiest way to create propulsion, but obviously they are very inefficient. So in order to improve that, then electrothermal thrusters were created, and uh, the main working principle behind this is uh, we can heat up the gas before it gets expelled through the nozzle in order to improve the efficiency. So electrothermal thrusters do that by just using electrical energy and warming up the gas in order to improve the efficiency of the system to create uh, to create thrust. Electrothermal thrusters have been widely used in the past over the last decades, so they have a lot of fly heritage and they've been used with many different propellants. They've been used with pressurized gases like xenon and, uh, and nitrogens, for instance, or even with liquid propellants such as butane. Now, if we look at electrothermal thrusters using water as propellant, so water-based electrothermal thrusters, then there's been quite a lot of research in the years. And uh, this research, however, hasn't really created a lot of commercial options. Water itself is actually a very good propellant because it has a very low molar mass and therefore can potentially create quite an efficient propulsion system. The main problem with water is that it takes a lot of energy to be converted into into steam and eventually to make an efficient propulsion system. So what we we did here at SteamJet is we found a way to basically convert water into steam by using very little power and uh, also by using a a very compact design. So I think water being a propellant is extremely good. However, as I said, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of times on these CubeSats and small platforms, you don't have a lot of energy. What we did the SteamJet, we tried to make a propulsion system uh, based on water, which is is actually feasible and can, can be actually used on small CubeSats and small satellites. Adoption took time because 
uh, you needed the other parts of a satellite system to also be able to handle aspects of the propulsion system. So that's really interesting. And then also a lot of in the commercial sector, what we look at is um, technology innovations that are driven by market requirements, which um, when it comes to thrusters is we talk about there are certain maneuvers or the um, different aspects of what the satellite needs to do. So I wonder if you could just explain what sorts of missions and maneuvers are you know, ideally suited to fly in water-based thrusters. Yes, sure. This is a quite interesting question. I would say that uh, most of the typical uh, missions and maneuvers can be done using water-based thrusters, especially electrothermal thrusters. And uh, I would say we need to uh, target mostly the low-Earth orbit missions. If we're looking at LEO missions, then uh, the main use cases, the main maneuvers for propulsion, basically the main use cases are station keeping, uh, so keeping your satellite basically at the same altitude and let, let, let's say counteract drag. Then obviously constellation management, which is becoming a hot topic because there are more and more constellations coming up. You need to make sure your satellites are positioned in the right spot in the orbit. And uh, so constellation management takes care of that. Then you can obviously do some small orbital changes. Collision avoidance is also extremely important because there are more and more space objects now in space. And if you are on a collision orbit with another space object, you need some active propulsion system in order to avoid that collision. And finally, the orbiting is also quite a hot topic because we don't want to introduce more and more space junk in space. We need to make sure that when the mission is finished, we can dispose of the satellite. The main limitation, I would say, in the use of uh, specifically electrothermal water-based propulsion systems are if, for instance, you need quite a, a high delta V. If, for instance, you need to do like a massive orbital change going from a low Earth orbit to a geostationary orbit, then I think electrothermal thrusters are not the best technology for that. You need more efficient technologies, which usually have a higher specific impulse and uh, that can provide basically better delta V. But other than that, I would say most of the maneuvers and missions that I mentioned earlier can be easily done by electrothermal water-based thrusters. Yeah, those key parts on the life cycle of a satellite, you know, the correct orbital position, the deorbiting, yeah, all very important. And as you say, collision avoidance, increasingly important as, as the traffic uh, grows. So you mentioned there the fact that water-based uh, electrothermal systems sometimes don't have or can't produce the highest delta V compared to other systems. Could you expand on the comparison between a water-based propulsion with other popular propulsion technologies, things like FEEP and Hall Effect, and maybe give us a bit of the pros and cons? Yeah, definitely. I would say, starting from the pros, the main pros that we can identify are definitely high thrust, low power consumption, and low pressure. So just to expand a little bit on this, high thrust allows you to do your maneuvers pretty quickly and electrothermal thrusters can have uh, 10 to 50 times more thrust than electric propulsion, like the systems that you mentioned. And this basically reduces what is called the payload downtime. So especially if you are on a limited platform like a CubeSat or a small satellite, if you're using the propulsion system, you can't use the payload at the same time. Therefore, the more you use the propulsion system, the less you use the payload. Therefore, if you have a system which has a high thrust and allows you to do the same stuff, but pretty quickly, then you can reduce the amount of um, payload downtime and you can actually use the payload to generate revenues and to do the mission itself, which is a beneficial thing for the final user. And in terms of power, also 
if we compare, for instance, what we have been able to achieve here at Stingjet, we can generate quite a good thrust using half the power of uh, electric propulsion systems such, such as ion thrusters, fee pole effect thrusters. Therefore, especially if you have a very limited platforms where like a three unit CubeSats or even like six unit, 12 units, uh, still quite limited in terms of amount of power you can produce, then obviously if you have a lower power consumption, you don't have basically to design your EPS or your satellite around the propulsion system rather than the payload itself. So that is a very good beneficial thing for also for the final user. And finally, in terms of propellant itself, water is a low pressure propellant. It's kept at a pressure which is usually below 100 PSI or 7 atmosphere. And if we compare that with the electric propulsion systems, which... Uh, in most cases, use still highly pressurized gases like xenon at 70 bars, then we can understand that a really high-pressure propellant tank, it's, it's way more tricky to be handled, especially on uh, very small platforms and, and small cubesats. So having a lower pressure makes everyone's life easier at the end. Obviously, there are also some cons, but if we can basically... Go back to what I said initially. The main, let's say, cons are related to the specific and total impulse because obviously ion thrusters and fee pole effect, they can have very high specific impulse and a lot of delta V that they can deliver to the satellite. So if, for instance, if you need to, to do a very big orbital change, such as going from LEO to GEO, as I mentioned earlier, then I don't think electrothermal thrusters are the best option at the moment. So yeah, this is more or less pros and cons of the two technologies. Just to follow up quickly, you said that you were able to reduce the power requirements by up to half. Is that half in order to produce the same amount of thrust, comparable thrust? Well, that is actually used 10 to 50 times more thrust. That's fantastic. So you also touched on the properties of water as a propellant in the system. So focusing on that aspect of it, water is obviously um, referred to as one of the green propellants. I wonder how you thought it compares as a propellant to other green propellants in that area. Yes. So I think here we need to distinguish a little bit between green propellants for electrothermal thrusters and potentially high performance green propellants for monopropellant systems. So if we consider other possible propellants for electrothermal thrusters, which are uh, butane, ammonia, then obviously water is still cheaper is still easier to handle, is non-toxic, non-corrosive, so, and it's also able to generate one of the highest specific impulse that you can have on this kind of technology. So these are the most, let's say, beneficial part of using water. And if we compare that with uh, high-performance green propellants using in uh, monopropellant systems, such as AF, uh, M315 or LMP103, then it is true that those those propellants are way less toxic than hydrazine. However, there's still some risk associated to the fact that you're using them at high pressure and they're also very highly energetic propellants themselves. So there's a lot of energy stored. So eventually water, which is kept at low pressure and is, uh, is non-flammable, again, non-toxic, it's, it's way easier to handle. You can potentially fill your propulsion system on one side and just ship it to another side without needing to have any specific you know, requirement or uh, you're not basically moving any dangerous material. So it makes 
everything easier from this point of view. Excellent. Yeah. And as you said earlier, um, low pressure is good for everybody. And I think that applies not just to propulsion systems. I think that applies to everything we do, right? Just to focus then a little bit more on uh, your own work at Steamjet. So, you know, we've discussed the, the technology in general, ter- well, technical terms, but um, we've uh, mentioned your, your own uh, products and services. So what sort of stage of maturity are you at in Steamjet and what sort of you know, customers and, and services do you foresee providing value to? Right. So, well, Steamjet is quite a young company at the end, but we, we already have three products under development. Just to mention quickly, we have the Tunacan Thruster, the Steam Thruster 1, and the Attitude Control Thruster. So in terms of technology readiness level, we are about tier 7 with uh, both our Tunacan Thruster and the Steam Thruster 1. And we are pretty excited because we have now two in-orbit demonstrations which are coming up. One is actually for November 2021, and uh, so in a few weeks actually, and the other one is Q1 2022. So this will allow us to test both technologies in space, the Tunacan Thruster and the Steam Thruster 1. They have slightly different audience. So the, the, the Tunacan Thruster is mainly targeting small CubeSats, I would say up to three units or six units. The main, let's say, part of the, of the Tunacan Thruster is that he has a very unique shape factor. That's why we call it Tunacan Thruster, because it has like a Tunacan shape. So it can be installed in the so-called Tunacan volume, which is available in, in CubeSat deployers. And that means that, uh, especially if you have a small platform such as a FreeU, you can just install the propulsion system outside the main CubeSat so that you still have all three units inside for your payload and subsystems, but you also have propulsion capabilities as basically the propulsion system will be just installed outside and take the Tunacan volume of the deployer. So that is a major benefit for small platforms. And the Steam Truster 1 is based on our same uh, Steam generation technology, but it's more for, uh, I would say, larger CubeSats or uh, bigger, let's say still small satellites, but bigger small satellites. Basically, it can fit different mission needs because we can just extend, customize the water tank to carry as much water as needed. And uh, if we look about our customers, I would say anyone who needs propulsion, but maybe to be more specific, well, definitely satellite manufacturers, also vertically integrated companies, which are companies which are eventually creating everything in-house, but usually the propulsion is still something that is outsourced. And uh, also agencies, of course, and, and universities. The plan is for us to make something which is pretty simple to uh, use and integrate into the satellites so that everybody can use it. And best of luck with those uh, IOD missions in in November and next year. Just a a final sort of application area, one that you mentioned, or well, uh, you mentioned in passing, there's quite a lot of talk recently about sort of using servicing satellites, particularly in LEO, by refueling them using, you know, fuel tanks that are already in orbit. As far as you can see, I know these applications are emerging, but as far as you can see, would that sort of service be limited to propellants like HPGP, or do you see water as a potentially viable option? Well, I think that water, it is definitely a valid candidate for that, perhaps even a better one. Let's say, you know, if we look about water, then if we think about water, water obviously is inherently safe. As I mentioned earlier, it's non-toxic. It's very, very easy to handle. And uh, it is also very abundant here on Earth, but also on asteroids and other planets. 
and it can be used to produce a good propulsion. So it can it can be a very good propellant for 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 propulsion, of course. So I see water as a very good option, not just for in-orbit refueling, as you mentioned, but if we look, let's say, a bit further, I see that as a very good option for refueling stations, also on asteroids or possible other planets. Because obviously with water, you can potentially use different technologies. You can separate water into hydrogen and oxygen and then have a lot of thrust, which could be useful to escape gravity, for instance, from other asteroids or other planets. Right, brilliant. So just finally, aside from you know the examples you've just given, I wondered how you saw the market for you know electrothermal water-based propulsion technologies evolving in the next you know, three to five years. If we look a little bit beyond the timeline of missions that are already you know booked for launch, I wonder how you saw things uh, things changing. Well, one I would say common driver that I see in the next years is that I believe water will become kind of a hot propellant, will become more and more used. And again, this is not just for electrothermal thrusters, but used also by different technologies, as I mentioned, as you can have basically have a bipropellant system with that, or you can use it with different technologies to increase the efficiency. So water, I believe, will be the propellant of the future. Uh, if we specifically take a look at the market for electrothermal water-based propulsion systems, I believe that here we're going to see this as the, one of the best options for low Earth orbit missions, as I mentioned earlier. The main reason is this. If, if we look back 10, 20 years, it was pretty difficult to put your CubeSat or small satellite in the orbit that you actually wanted. You were as secondary payload every time and you were dropped off in the orbit of the primary payload and eventually you had to make your way to the orbit that you desire. And that required, obviously, big orbital changes most of the times. But if we look at the situation now, and if we're looking also in the next three to five years, there are more and more uh, small satellite launchers coming up. There are more and more space tugs, which are actually able now to deliver your satellite exactly where you need it. So you're not going to be needing a lot of a big, massive orbital change as it was 10 years ago, perhaps. And this then opens a lot of possibilities for electrothermal thrusters because at this point, the Delta V budget for your mission is not that big anymore. So electrothermal thrusters can deliver what you need, which again, if I can just repeat quickly with the main use cases, which are station keeping, constellation management, collision avoidance, and the orbiting, those can be easily achieved with electrothermal thrusters. And at this point, electrothermal thrusters can actually provide you a better compromise between performance and efficiency. Because as I mentioned earlier, you can have a propulsion system which is less intrusive in your satellite, can make sure that basically you're operating your payload as, as, as long as, as you need. So for uh, you can reduce basically your payload downtime but can deliver you basically the performance that you need in order for you to maximize your uh, your mission and your return of investment. So for this reason, I believe that uh, electrothermal thrusters, especially water-based, will be an extremely good option for, they are ready right now, but they will be even better in the next three to five years. 
Excellent. Well, I think that's um, a great place to to wrap up the conversation there, Marco. Thank you very much. You've shared, you know, lots about today about the different applications of water-based propulsion, the technical aspects that make it such a potentially attractive technology for certain applications and missions. And um, yeah, looking to the uh, use cases in the future as well has been really illuminating. So thank you for sharing um, all those insights with the space industry community today. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it was my pleasure. And uh, if anyone is interested, please uh, get in touch with us. Visit our website, uh, steamjet.space, and we will be happy to discuss about our propulsion systems further. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you to all our listeners out there. If you'd like to find out um, more about the company, there's also the SatSearch Supplier Hub and the company's product portfolio with all of the systems that Marco's mentioned today. And if you've got any specific needs for product quotes, technical documentation, introductions to the business or whatever else is required for a trade study or procurement purposes, mission design, you're more than welcome to use our free request system on the site. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to setsearch.com for more information on the space industry today or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store or whichever podcast service you typically use.